Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. We're already beginning the conversation of um, what we wanted to talk about today, you know, focusing, you know, halakhically on the, the question about wine or food that is, you know, brought in problematic ways on Shabbat, you know, that's car- is brought in a car or a taxi in this case. Um, but I think more broadly than just thinking about like the halacha of what the status of that wine or food is, just sort of the, the conversation we're already starting to have about those awkward Shabbat meal moments, which I'm sure many of us have had, in which we or we either bring or are at a meal or hosting a meal where someone else, you right, brings something that where you know where there's something off, either halachically or you know, right, yeah, you know, we're thinking halachically, but also could, could be in other ways, and sort of how how to navigate that. I mean, we saw that really clearly, I think, in this in this episode, in which, right, if Nazi hadn't made made the point of, hey, she's paying the taxi driver, oh, she brought it in a taxi, and then he sort of whispered, right, like, no one would have known, <laughs> and it would have been, it would have been fine, but Nazi sort of pushing it, pushing it, pushing it, and, you know, in spite of that, like, I don't know, Amir and Yifat, I think, potentially could have handled that whole situation differently as well, um, it's tough. It's one of these really tough, you know, sort of situations about what do you do when someone unknowingly does something problematic and, you know, how do you avoid embarrassing them while also not violating your, uh, your standards, your halakhic standards. So I think that, you know, that's sort of what we're going to look into and talk about today. I don't know, Rabbi Shatz, if you have the initial, um, you know, thoughts on that you want to share. I see a lot of people have, have things to say, and I'm sure people have stories as well um, to share about this. So I saw Denise first. So Denise, why don't you um, chime in and then Debbie and Steve. So I think the key word was unknowing because Horea knows. And, and earlier in the show, the boyfriend tells her, oh, they never compromise and this and that. And it, it kind of bothered me because it would, and, and I feel like this happens in the world too, not just on the show, where people sort of conflate loyalty to religion and really to God and loyalty to friends and loved ones and families, you know, and, and I feel like that's not fair, number one, to ask people to put those together or separate them out They, you know, they each have their own, they're, they're separate relationships in my mind. And, and Horaya knew that she wasn't just stumbling into something. It's almost like she was daring them. Do you love me enough? And they love her enough to want to be with her, but that doesn't mean that they're asking her to come in and knowingly violate something and put them all in a bad spot and make them potentially violate something that they're not interested in, in crossing that line. So, yeah. So I think, so I mean, I think this is a really interesting point. So halakhically, um, and this is what, what we were talking about for those who are with us before the episode is, is actually this exact case and how the halakha, the law, the Jewish law differentiates between mezid and shogig, someone who 
does something like this. I mean, the original case is cooking on Shabbat accident. You know, you you left something on the on. You know, you didn't turn off the fire. You left a pot on the stove, and it cooked during Shabbat or something like that. You know, and the halacha differentiates between intentional and non-intentional, and says, you know, if it's there's different opinions, but we're always more lenient if it's accidental. Um, and you know, Denise is bringing up this point about Hodea and saying Hodea knows. And when we were talking about it earlier, Rabbi Schatz brought up the point, like maybe she actually doesn't know. Um, she knows you can't get in a car on Shabbat, but like, does she necessarily know that bringing something on Shabbat in a car has halakhic ramifications? Like maybe not. She might not actually know that because she just grew up knowing don't get in a car on Shabbat. And she might actually have no idea that it has kashrut in place. Um, so when halacha, like in this case, sort of differentiates based on intention, you know, how are we able to discern intention? In this case, I'm actually not so sure that, that we can discern her intention. She might actually have, and, and judging from her reaction, maybe it's that she feels like they chose religion over her, or maybe it's like she actually had no idea that this was going to be like, that this was problematic, that it would make the wine something that they couldn't drink. It didn't even occur to her, and now it's sort of. It's like but she doesn't have it. any. She doesn't seem curious when when it finally comes out in the open. She's not like, "What are you talking about? What's the deal?" She's she knows what they're talking about. Well, they, they're not surprised. They also say they say, "But you brought it in a cab." So then she puts two and two together. But I think part of what I was sharing before that remember in the first season, which. Feels like a million years ago, but but <laughs> their lives is not actually a million years ago. Um, they lived in the home that was doing the hosting, so she never had yeah. to worry about any kind of traveling, any kind of cash route. She didn't have to worry about any of that because it was just happening in her home. Um, and I think that as soon as her boyfriend or whatever he the the man in her life um starts to tell her that she she's only going to be allowed to bring wine because remember in israel also we are not going to get into this topic right now but remember in israel when you buy wine like generally if you're buying it in jerusalem it's not going to be hard it sorry it will be harder for you to find a an unhexured bottle of wine as opposed to if you're in america um that might be a harder thing to come by and uh we can talk about kosher wine some other time but (laughs) bringing wine would be something that was that was easy for her to do and so she already felt bad about the fact that she was being told to bring something that was kind of like the the secular item for shabbos um and so I, I really don't think that she knew. Like, I think there are just certain things that people who grow up really from actually don't know as much as people who come from a background that isn't as observant and then all of a sudden are keeping more of these laws because you have to come to laws through understanding them and learning them rather than just doing things because that's what your parents did and that's what your grandparents did and then that's what you did and mm-hmm. not necessarily knowing why. And so I think that Rabbi Pernick is correct that she got in a car, she knew that was a no-no, but 
but she didn't necessarily know that all of her all of her um, subsequent actions were going to be then determined as you know like trafe so to speak based on her getting into the car. I, well, I, yeah, also you make it you persuading me because um, I'm just thinking like one of my closest friends got married really young, um, and she lived in New York, and I went to see her. Um, and I wanted to come over on Shabbat and her husband said, no, he said, I was welcome to come for the whole Shabbat, but I couldn't come just, you know, for three hours in the afternoon because I was going to take the subway and I wasn't staying in Queens and whatever. And I was like, okay, whatever. I'm not coming. But, um, so it's possible that, that like, that it just didn't come up for her. It's also possible that if she did know those rules and she knows that they're already allowing her to come by cab, I mean, because presumably she's not living close enough to be walking and, you know, so maybe she just thinks that they're going to be okay with whatever she does and not hold her to that too. Yeah. So. That's a great point. I have many stories, but let's hear from other people. Of course. One of them having to do with another Pernick, which I can tell the story of. Um, the Mishiks and then Renee and then Eileen and then Jeff. Wow, there's a lot of a lot of people. Okay, let's start with the Mishiks. So two things. One is that when we used to have dinner at the Chabad Rabbi's house, they would always ask us to bring the wine before Shabbat. So we knew that. But also above all, don't we have a isn't there a prohibition against embarrassing people? And so aside from the wine piece, Nati was embarrassing her from the beginning. And even Amir, when he threw the towel at her, you know, just they were embarrassing her. And I thought we're not supposed to do that. Yeah, it's a really good point. And I, I think that um, if it were left to Amir and Yifat, I actually don't know that they would have done anything different. They would have used that wine. And I think they just would have, like you're saying, like made her feel comfortable for just being there and doing something. But Nati took it so far that then Amir was like, well, will Nati not drink it? And how can I kind of appease this situation without being con confrontational because I'm a guy and I don't do that. Um, so they're just, you know, trying to figure out how they're gonna work their way through this moment. And I think if it was just up to Yifat and Amir, they would have been totally fine with it, or maybe not totally fine, but they would have gone upon the principle of we don't wanna embarrass her, we're just gonna use the wine, like you're saying. Um, in terms of the washing of the hands, I, I think that Amir just kind of assumed that even if, like, even if you're not from, um, on Shabbat, most people, if the people around you are washing their hands, like go and wash their hands, even if the rest of the week before you eat, you, do, you don't wash your hands. I think he's also like just trying to make, you know, he's like almost light in the mood. It's like, oh, you know, like, come on, you're at home here. You know, it's sort of that sense of like, there's already like that sense of divide and he sort of throws the towel and she throws the towel back. Like, I think, I don't think he's trying to embarrass her. I think he's sort of trying to loosen things up um, because the, you could already sort of feel the tension. Um, certainly Nati's trying to, you know, do the opposite and make everything normal, right? That's clearly his job, his role in the situation. Renee. Okay, first of all, I agree with what you said. I think that she didn't really think about it because it wasn't something that has come up in her life. I think the car thing is an obvious thing to anybody. I mean, even going, people that are not Jewish know that we don't drive on Shabbat, but the 
particles or things that you carry on you may not be known so much. Um, I was really concerned about the embarrassment issue too, but I think that I overlooked it only because he was clearly very drunk and he was coming from another state of mind. I don't know that he would have been, although he's kind of egotistical, he might've done it anyway, but I don't know that he would have been that openly embarrassing if he weren't drunk. But the other thing that I, that occurred to me is that um, Amir and Ifat know that she's no longer, uh, that she's wanting to be Chiloni. And so when they invited her, they should have also extended the, knowing that she would be coming uh, on Shabbat some way and that it wasn't walking distance. They, I would have thought that they would have extended an invitation to her to stay over if she was coming so that they didn't put her in a position where she would have to drive on Shabbos. I don't think that we know that it wasn't in walking distance. I mean, Ra'ut seems to think that she's walking. Right. So, because I think, yeah, I agree. So I, I, like. Okay, well, assuming that it wasn't. (laughs) Okay. Okay. Um, Assuming that it wasn't, yes. They could have let her stay over. It also seems very clear that Amir wants to get his wife alone. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And so I think that in a certain way, like he, he was already upset that there are going to be people at his dinner table, um, let alone, you know, sleeping in his house. Um, But yeah, you're right. I mean, I had, I'll share one of my stories now. I had a teacher in rabbinical school who was more from than than other teachers of mine, and she would not invite over. Uh, I shouldn't say she. Anyway, this teacher would not have invited over um, students for Shabbos dinner if she, if man, if the teacher knew. Um, I think we know the gender at this. Point. I know, but I'm sorry. <laughs> that uh, that people would be driving to her house. So she didn't want to put them in a bad way. Um, and so it, it was just the case that there were certain rabbinical students that got to go over for Shabbos and others who got, you know, invited over for like Cholomoed Sukkot or something. And um, those were her standards because she wanted to make sure that even though there were certain rabbinical students who would drive on Shabbat, that she was not condoning that behavior. So I think it's it's a similar um it's a similar situation to what you're explaining. She wasn't asking people to sleep over, but um, that, that, you know, to make people feel as though if you're in our home, this is how we would want you to feel comfortable and practice, at least extending that invitation, um, if that would make her feel, you know, more able to be there in a, in a comfortable way. Or then at least the issue would have been brought up to the, to the for, forefront. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Okay, Eileen. But whatever. Yeah. I, I sort of think it could have been handled quite differently. First of all, I I don't think that you can control how somebody gets there. And it, and if uh they if she comes in a taxi or otherwise, that's really on her, not on them. And uh if they knew that she was coming in a taxi, maybe they wouldn't have invited her. But I know we have gone to uh, religious home uh, on Shabbat, and it's late at night and it's dark. Eight o'clock, it's dark. We don't walk, so we would ride, and they know we ride, and there's no critique of it. I wouldn't think of bringing a gift, but in terms of Hadaria's bringing the gift, I think Ifat could have just simply said when she brought handed her the bottle, 
is thank you so much. We'll save it for another occasion and put it away and mm-hmm. not given it an embarrassing touch where they're going to open it on Shabbat. Yeah, so, or, or open I, the bottle, right? Do prepare the, the, um, What's it called? I have one also. Like the Kiddush cup thingy. The Kiddush fountain. Is that what it's called? Anyway, it doesn't matter. Prepare it in the kitchen, right? So that it doesn't know. You don't know what wine has been used. Or or make it so that it's just not as obvious that you're that you're receiving something and that you're not going to be using it. Like, be grateful for the fact that you asked her to bring something and she brought something. Right. But I think she could have also relieve the whole situation by saying, oh, thank you so much. We'll yeah. open this on another occasion and just let it go at that. Sure. And then there would have been no opportunity for Nati or anybody else to ask for that wine that they weren't going to use it that night. Uh, but but I, I really think that um, putting the onus totally on Hadaya because she drew, came in a taxi and, and brought the wine is not really her response. It's not her um her bad behavior. I I think they just either accept her as she is or let it go. For sure. I forget who else I called on. Jeff. Jeff. I I just wanted to point out since I'm big on intent tonight that Hodaya, when she was getting dressed for Shabbos, she seemed to be trying to keep her modesty. So I I think she was at least uh, showing, you know, some respect for the, for, for the Shabbat dinner when she was getting dressed. Which I think, you know, to her, to to to, to her uh, benefit. Yeah, I mean, you know, credit to her credit. Yeah, I I think that's a good point. I think right, she's she's sort of trying to navigate this line between like not putting on her old from clothes, but also like not making a scene. It's sort of like I'm gonna come in sort of a modern but somewhat sneeze outfit, like somewhat modest outfit. Um, but <laughs> no, okay. Ahead. Um, you know, so she's like sort of trying to straddle that line. I'm like, look, I'm, I'm like different, but I'm also still part of, part of this Hevra. Like I'm still part of this group. And she, you know, again, like, I don't, I think with the wine, I don't think it even occurred to her. Like, I think, you know, she, fine. She drove there. She took a taxi there, but like, I, I don't, I don't think she realized the ram, like halakhic ramifications of, um, you know, her bringing wine and what that went, you know, which by the way, if she didn't know that it was a problem, then actually they could drink it on Shabbat. It's like the, you know, uh, it's only problematic if they, the person knows that it's a problem. If they don't know it's a problem, you know, she, then in theory, she shouldn't have it, but they could. Um, But of course they don't know that. They just know that it's wine that's been transported on Shabbat. Um, Yeah. So I think, I mean, it's sad because she's trying a soft, the guy is like, no, it's impossible. You're just, you know, you're a masochist for even trying to straddle this line. Um, you know, and she, she thinks like, no, it's possible. These are my friends. Like they're still my friends. And I, you know, and this is like a real, that's like a dagger. Like it really is a dagger of like, no, you know, I mean, and Nati just keeps digging the dagger in further. Um, but it's like really noting like, no, you're, you're different now. You're not the same, you know. You, uh, I, Two things. Number one, I was laughing because one of the things that I think when we talk about Sneas clothing, like you could, if you remember back to that scene, you can tell what she thought would be categorically Sneas or not, right? Like 
when she saw that there that she had some cleavage, she was like trying to like lift her shirt up as far as it possibly could go. And then she knew that she had to cover her shoulders. And then she got to a place where you couldn't see her collarbone and and she was like completely covered, but then her elbows were still showing. So like, you know, what does sneeze really, really mean at the end of the day? Um, but the, I think the the other piece of this is that any person who goes through any kind of transformation, religious or otherwise, um, and has a core group of friends, you always assume that your friends are going to relate to you as you, not as the conservative or the reform or the orthodox, right? They're going to refer to you as Rebecca, or they're going to refer to you as Jeff, or they're going to, right? Like, they're going to refer to you as to who, as who you are and, yeah, accept you for who you are, exactly. And I think that for her, the, the, the piece that her, that guy was trying to get her to understand or to believe that she was kind of poo-pooing and then experienced in a certain way was that there's no way for them, a, a from group of people, to then have her join back and, and have them accept her for who she was as opposed to who she is. Um, they're always going to be concerned now that whatever she brings is not kosher. They're always going to be concerned now that if she comes for Shabbos, that she's going to have her cell phone on. They're always going to be concerned. And it's not always the case, right? It's not always the case that if you give someone, why are you smirking? They, uh, they, that if you give someone the, the, the label of a denomination that all of a sudden, well, all of a, all of a sudden you're going to be acting according to what they believe you are acting as based on your denomination. And it just isn't, it isn't how you think of friends. At least it's not how I think of friends personally. I mean, I think there's like this interesting moment. I don't know if people picked up on it, but like they call Ruth and ask her to make pasta salad. And then the next scene is Hodaya in her restaurant scooping pasta, right? And so there's sort of this like this interesting moment of like, you know, it's sort of noting like, oh, Ruud can make the pasta salad. Hodaya now has the pasta, but it's in a tray for restaurant and she can't, you're right. Like, so sort of playing on that dynamic of like, right, and, and Asaf is like, let me guess, they asked you to bring wine. And she was like, oh, it's a coincidence. But it's like, no, you're right. There's like, you know, we don't, you know, back in the day, they might've asked her to bring the pasta salad and now they're not because they don't know the status of her kitchen and so forth. And wine seems to be, you know, the safer bet. But I mean, I think we see, you know, Asaf, you get the sense that, you know, the guy who came from a religious background, right, that came up in whatever, the two episodes ago, um, you know, and you really get the sense from him that it was like, he came from like a real, like a yeshiva background, and it was sort of like he needed a clean break. Like Hodaya also comes from like a yeshiva background in some sense, her dad's a Rosh Hashiva, but like this group of friends isn't that. Right, these are not like black and white people. They're much more gray people, um, and I think Asaf, you know, Asaf sort of sees the world's coming from his like yeshivish place of like, no, like they're never going to accept you. But like, actually, this group of friends, I think, would accept her because they're more people who live in that gray area. And you know, Asaf is saying this, and she's now getting this thought in her mind, and now it's just being emphasized by Nazi being Nazi and just sort of making you know, bringing to the forefront of everyone's mind the ways that, you know, her being secular have now, like, created a problem for them. Nati also, and then I'll call on Debbie, Nati also is recognizing that there is a person 
who is having it is able to then transform herself and change herself and he's trying to figure out like am i gonna just be stuck like this you know guy for forever and he sees her as being able to change in some way and i think he like he pushes her a little bit because he doesn't really he doesn't understand how he could possibly be able to do that and i'm reading way into this but i'm just going with this drash for a second like how he's going to be able to also make those changes that he wants to make. He's impressed that she's been able to make these changes and kind of wonders how to poke at her to see if she'll, you know, break, so to speak, um, mm -hmm. from, from the changes that she's taken on. Uh, Debbie. So I just think it's really interesting that this group of people who are a little bit loosey goosey with the rules, um, you know, and they, you know, man and woman by themselves, in, in a room, for example, Yifat and Nati by themselves with nobody else there, door not open. That's that's really not following the rules. And they choose to really come down on Hodaya when they don't always follow the rules. Like you said, it's gray. Yeah. But I think they only come down on Hodaya because they know that if if they pull out the wine, Nati's gonna make he's gonna bring it up. And so they're trying right, like just because given what Nati is like right now. Right. Clearly, if they pour the wine, he would say something. So they're trying to uh, figure out a way to avoid the embarrassment. So I actually don't think the reason that they pulled the wine is that. Well, I mean, part of it is like they think it's halakhically problematic. I'm just going to pull up the sources in a, for a second so you can see why it's maybe kind of sort of halakhically problematic. Um, but I think it's also like either way, they're sort of stuck because they know that Nati is going to make a thing of it. Of it. Um, yeah. Right, either way. I'm just going to just sort of quickly go through. This is what we were looking at before. Um, so from the Shulchan Aruch, from the Code of Jewish Law, and this is based on a conversation in the Talmud about cooking, that it says, um, you know, Hameva Shabbat Shabbat, someone who cooks on Shabbat, or or did one of the other forbidden activities, if the person did it intentionally, the food is forbidden to be eaten, but for other people, not the person who did it, but the others, on Motzei Shabbat, after Shabbat, they can eat the food. Um, if it was accidental, so the Shulchan Aruch here says if, if it was cooked on Shabbat, um, you know, if it was accidental, they can enjoy it right after Shabbat. But other sources, the Biralach and the Mishnah Brewer, say that's only talking about cooking, which is something that's like actually changing the status of the item on Shabbat. Um, the Bir Halacha says, right, says this explicitly. It says, if a person simply carries an object in a forbidden matter, manner, but didn't change the nature of the object, which is our case, if it was by accident, it was it is permitted even to the person who did the action and even during Shabbat itself. It says if it was done intentionally, it's forbidden to everyone to use until Motzei Shabbat, until after Shabbat. Um, you know, and then he says, nevertheless, it's better to be strict on this. Um, but his point is, you know, we have these sort of rules about food that's cooked on Shabbat. He says that's sort of the strictest case because you're actually physically changing the nature of the object on Shabbat. For other things that, you know, you're doing a malachai, you're doing a forbidden action, but it's not impacting the object directly. It's not changing its nature, like if it was done accidentally, which I think is our case. I think it's done accidentally. I think 
she's intentionally bringing it, but she doesn't realize that that itself is problematic. Like it actually, according to this, should be okay. Um, and the Mishnah Brewer rules, similarly talking about how the Vilna Gaon follows the position of Rabbi Meir in the Gemara, which is the more lenient position, um, saying that with an, in, you know, an intentional action, it's forbidden, but an accidental action, anyone can benefit from it immediately. And he says, in a time of need, the Makom Tzorech, if the, you know, which I think our situation is a Makom Tzorech, like to avoid embarrassment, this position of the Grav, the Vilna Gaon, can be relied on if somebody cooked accidentally. So, you know, so there is, there are legal ramifications. Um, the last source that I'm not going to get into is from Rabbi Shlomo Gorin, who's the chief rabbi of the Israeli army, um, who had cases of, you know, people bringing water to the base on Shabbat and sort of what happens there. Um, but the general takeaway is, you know, four things that are not changing the this nature of the object. If it's accidental, it's really, it's fine. You know, it's better not, it would be better for them not to, you know, bring it in a car. But if the person didn't know that they couldn't bring it in a car, you can, you know, you can, uh, at least in a Makom Tzorach, at least in a time of need, you can utilize it. You can, um, and so, I mean, I know for me, like I've had friends come over for Shabbat and bring a bottle of wine and like kosher wine or, or a babka or something, you know, that's packaged. And like, I've served that um, at the meal because it's sort of, it's like they went out, you know, someone who doesn't keep kosher and went through the trouble of getting a kosher wine or getting a kosher babka. Like it's sort of, they don't know that, that, that like bringing it in a car is changing the, you know, is some like could create problems. They have no idea. And so it's something, you know, it's easier, obviously it's avoiding embarrassment, but also I think in terms of like, trying to bring people closer to, you know, and for people who have, who've shared experiences of like going to rabbis houses or things where, you know, they brought wine. You know, I think that's part of the reason is like, it's not bringing anyone closer to Judaism to, to embarrass them publicly for something that they're trying, you know, they're going and getting the Trader Joe's babka that they know is kosher or going and finding a kosher wine. Like they're really trying. So what, how are you helping by saying, nope, sorry, you screwed up, you know, uh, Renee. I think the other thing that they could have done also, which is something that I've done with friends that I've invited for Shabbat that don't necessarily don't keep kosher or my level of kashrut is if they want to contribute to the dinner, extend an invitation for them to come to my house and help me prepare for Shabbat. Mm. Yeah. So that way, that way they feel like they're helping or contributing something to the meal, but not, but, but we both know that it's going to be kosher. Mm. So, the one thing, and I will, this is a story about Josh, Rabbi Parnick's brother, or Rabbi Parnick's son, whichever way you want to phrase it. Um, I, one of the things that I often do is for people who are coming to my home for Shabbat, if they ask that they can bring something, I'm very specific about what they can bring. Because if you then say, no, don't worry about it, most of the time someone will bring something. And there are certain things that if someone brings on Shabbat, they're like, even... I don't know if I would say more problematic, but like there's less that you can do with them to make it seem um, I, I, like that you're appreciating what they brought than if it's a bottle of wine. Um, so flowers is one of those things because you're not supposed to put flowers in um, water on, on when Shabbat has started. So 
Um, one of Rabbi Parnik's siblings, or one of Rabbi Parnik's sons, um, came to my house for Shabbos dinner and entered the house with a ginormous bottle of Manischewitz, which I had never seen such a large bottle of Manischewitz in my life. And I said, wow, thank you so much. Like, what made you think that you needed to bring this? Um, and he said, well, I, I knew I shouldn't bring flowers, which was just like the sweetest, you know, it, he wanted to bring something, but he didn't want to bring something that would be so problematic. So he brought something else. And it was just such a, it was such a sweet gesture to say, like, I, I looked up or I knew enough to not do this thing. So I wanted to make an impact and I wanted to bring something nice. And so I brought something that I knew could be useful. And I think that's exactly what is happening in this scenario is that Yifat and Amir know that if they ask her not to bring anything, that that is going to be more, I don't know, denigrating. Like that, it's going to take her down as opposed to saying, please bring wine. And then the way that she brings it is the way that she brings it. But again, I don't think that she knew the difference. And she's doing something kind for the household, for her friends, for Shabbat. And it's just, it's a nice thing. And you just say thank you and you move on. And whether or not you use the Manischewitz or that bottle of wine on Shabbat is neither here nor there. But the way in which the, the hosts react to the gift being given to them, I think, makes all the difference. Sorry, something I was going to say, yes, uh, are we for sure that she was not in walking distance? Because, I mean, did they live where there's a neighborhood that she could have carried? Yeah, I, I think that she's still in walking distance, which is why Reut is like, what's the problem with, like, why aren't we drinking Hodaya's wine? Yeah. And Nati's like, because she drove in a taxi. And, and Ruth's like, oh, she did? Um, because, like, right, it's presumably right, Ruth thinks she's walking. So, you know, it appears that she's still in walking distance. And by the way, I'll just bring back up the source sheet. Um, this um, Sikha of Rabbi Shlomo Gorin talking about water that's brought to a military base. You know, he says, if the water was brought from a place which could have been reached by foot, even with difficulty, there is room to be lenient, to permit the water when there is no other drinking water, even if it was knowingly brought by motor vehicle. Um, so he says we can actually be more lenient if it could have been brought by walking. You know, the person nevertheless brought it driving, but like it could, you know, it wasn't like this This water was inaccessible and, you know, it, it couldn't have been brought and now it was brought. Like if, if it could have been brought um, just with difficulty and someone drove, we can actually be more lenient because like it wasn't something that you didn't have access to at all. Something you could have had access to and it was just brought in a problematic way. The Arab is a really good point, though, because if they believed that she lived in within the Eruv, um, then she should have been totally fine, obviously not putting like a car aside. You're right that she that yeah. they were asking her to bring something that they thought would be totally useful and fine to use um, at their Shabbos table without any kind of worry. It's interesting, Rebecca brings up that she posed in front of the mirror holding the wine to match her outfit. I didn't notice that. But I also didn't notice that. That's funny. Well, she, her first, the first outfit 
that she rejected. She was holding the wine, seeing how she looked. And then she thought, no, I don't know if it was the wine or the outfit, but she ended up changing her outfit. <laughs> Interesting. Um, I, I had a question. If, um, if somebody comes from outside the A-Roof and is carrying it outside the A-Roof, but still walking to get to the, uh, the, the dinner, is that okay? Because is it just the individual who's breaking something or whatever by carrying outside the A-Roof, or does that make it unkosher? So it's really the same. I mean, it's the same as this case. It's the same as going into tax um, if it's being brought, you know, partially from outside the area. And actually, I mean, in the, you know, I caught just a piece of the um, Rabbi Shlomo Gorin sock here, his ruling, but it also talks about tehumim. If you're in one tehum, one area, and then you travel, you know, there's only a certain distance that you can travel on Shabbat. Um, regardless of Eruv, just like it's called a tehum, like a English word. Um, an area, essentially. And so that's like also, you know, part of the conversation, but but fundamentally carrying would be, you know, a Torah level prohibition that doesn't impact this, the nature of the object, just like driving it in a taxi is the similarly a Torah level problem that doesn't change the, the, the nature of the object. So it would be sort of the same one of one of the ways that you could also ask this question that's even uh, kind of more problematic is if a person doesn't know if the Arab is up or down, right? So if the Arab is down and you think the Arab is up because you just assume since you live in Los Angeles that the Arab must always be up. Well, it's not always up. And so if you bring something to someone's home and they know that the Arab was down, but you walked from wherever outside their home to get to them, then what do they do? Um, and in that particular case, just like every other case we've spoken about, I personally would just assume that they didn't know that it was down because unless you're someone like a crazy person like me who checks to see if the arrow is up or down, like you're not gonna assume that they went onto that website to see if it's up or down. So that's another way in which it's just like, halakhically, it's just like getting into a car, but they would have had no idea that they were, quote, getting into a car by walking outside because they didn't know the Arab was down. Leonard, did you have a question? Yeah, I have an Arab uh, suggestion. Oh, great. I mean, because some places have bigger Arabs than others. The one here in Los Angeles is enormous. Uh, but it seems to me you could solve the whole problem by making an Arab that's, say, I don't know, five by five feet. And you say it basically is encompassing the entire world except the part in the middle over there. The the air roof is on the outside, so to speak, <laughs> of the fence rather than on the inside. And therefore, the entire world would be covered by an air roof. There's a limited number of people who can trans, who, can, who, who can fit. Yeah, that's one of the rules of an air roof. Is it has to, there has to be less than a certain number of people who are traversing through it over the course of Shabbat. But otherwise, that would be a very good plan <laughs> um, yeah but there, you know among that's why like um like the Lubavitcher Rebbe said you know there can never be a, a, a roof in Brooklyn um or Manhattan um because then or what or Los Angeles that's why you see people walking with their tally oh yeah so like because like big cities that have been especially I mean interstates and highways become big problems if they're sort of within an a roof because then you could have thousands of people passing through um, I don't remember the exact numbers that like that's an issue is the number of people who might be right because the whole idea of an Eruv is you're constructing an artificial private 
domain. But how, you know, if if there's six billion people in your private domain, it's not a very private private domain. You know, uh, Rashid Yaffe. That's, that's also outside the idea of Rashid Harabin, so you couldn't do that. Six billion. I'm saying if it was like the entire world, like. Oh, 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 oh. Yeah. yeah. No. Bonnie, do you have a question? Yeah, go ahead. Bonnie, yeah. You just have to unmute. Yeah. Um, I don't understand how it desecrates my own Shabbat if somebody comes to my house on Shabbat who who does not keep of the Shabbat traditions. Why is what is the law that's like? Like I could never then invite a non-Jewish person for Shabbat. I could never invite somebody from the valley unless they stay at my house. Um, how how is that like you said how is that embracing and enhancing somebody else's experience but what is the law that says my personal observance is compromised if somebody else doesn't observe shabbat so i one of the pieces to to kind of differentiate in your comment is it it has nothing to do with the human right so if a person drives from the valley to get to the city in Los Angeles, I don't know how to make that relevant to anybody else, but far away, um, like 20 minutes away, you have to be in a car to get to you in the city, Bonnie. By them walking into your home, nothing has happened. Nothing's happened. They can walk into your home and sit with you and have Shabbos with you. They can even check their phone at your table. They have, they've been in your presence, has done nothing to your home, nothing to your Shabbat. What we're talking about is the uh, the item here, talking about a bottle of wine, that would be transported in in a way in which it then categorizes the wine, not as unkosher, but just as having been prepared, so to speak, in such a way that isn't um, uh, seemly for Shabbat. So just like you wouldn't cook your chicken for Friday night dinner at six o'clock if candlelighting was at 545, you, by inviting someone into your home with a bottle of wine that got to you via a vehicle on, once Shabbat had already started, that wine is now considered to be, quote, cooked or prepared or made into something that was not for Shabbat. So it's not the person, it's the item. And again, that's why it's also very easy for us to say, just put this aside and say thank you and figure out either a way that you are going to use it or a way that you are going to try to put it aside and not use it um, and have it be the thing that you use the next time those people come over. But it's it's not denigrating to you, not to the person, not really even to the object, um, but you but you are careful about those objects, just like you would be careful about your own cooking. I'll emphasize that. Somebody else was saying that she was invited to a person's house and, 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 but had to stay there. They wouldn't accept her if she came and then left. No. So I, I don't think it's about accepting, right? I think it's more so about this idea that if you are if you are a person who is uncomfortable getting in a vehicle on Shabbat and your home is therefore a place that would not encourage those in it to drive on Shabbos, then inviting that person to stay over is your way of saying 
If you are only driving to get to me because that is your only way of getting to me, come to me before Shabbat and stay with me over Shabbat. Right? You're not forcing the person to stay in your home. That's called kidnapping. Um, but the idea of, of inviting them to be in your home, because if you didn't do that, they might be driving only for the purpose of being with you, which they might not like either, you're offering them the chance to stay. I, I don't think that, I forget who it was, but I don't think that the person was suggesting that the person had to stay over. It's just that it's an option so that they don't have to drive. I thought... I thought that she was not welcome unless she stayed. Maybe that's... No, that's, I don't think so. I don't think so. But Rabbi Parnik wanted to add or suggest... No, I, I, I was going to... Yeah, so I was going to emphasize like one point that Rabbi Schatz made a minute ago about, you know, she said, maybe you just pull out that bottle of wine the next time that person comes. Because remember, you know, it said that, that wine... And this is, I think, something that's misunderstood often. That wine isn't unkosher now because it was transported on Shabbat. It just can't be used on this Shabbat, again, assuming it was brought intentionally. But to be, you know, but after, once Shabbat is done, that wine is fine. It's still kosher wine. Um, so the following Shabbos, you could pull it out and be like, oh, you said that? Okay. And, but yeah, I said I just wanted to emphasize that point. You said it, but I want to emphasize it. Like, I like, don't yeah. understand that logic because to me, it seems like and just, just forgive me if I'm wrong, but it seems to me like you're playing like a technicality either with Judaism or a technicality with God. And like, yeah, we can't use it this Shabbat, but next Shabbat is fine. And to me, it's like, God's like, really? Really? Because, <laughs> I mean, first, first God of, really cares. First of all, yes. Like lots of Jewish lies, technicalities and how to get around them. So yeah. Um, and, and also remember that as Rai Parnik was saying and emphasizing what I had said about the wine, <laughs> the wine is not unkosher. I mean, the wine could be unkosher, but if it's a kosher bottle of wine and it shows up on Shabbat, it is not now deemed unusable or unkosher in, like, in life. It's just deemed a thing that if you have a way of not using that Shabbat, it might be preferable because if you use it the next Shabbat or if you use it the next Wednesday, it's just a bottle of wine. If it arrived to you on Shabbat for use on that Shabbat, it's to go back to Jeff's whole uh, theme of the evening, it's all about the intention. It was brought to your home on Shabbat to be used for Shabbat, that Shabbat. So if you bring it, last Friday and you just don't get to it, that's kind of how I usually end up dealing with these situations, you just don't get to that bottle of wine because you happen to have other bottles of wine to use, then the next time those people come over, you say, remember this bottle of wine you brought? Let's use it this Shabbos. And then that's how you kind of can get around that. I've never talked about wine transportation as much as I have this evening. Yeah. I think it's a topic that people also like, like Hodeya didn't know about. I think it's like a misunderstood topic on, on both directions. I think there are people who think like, oh, it's now non-kosher. And like, no, it's it's not, on, like it's still kosher wine. It's just, yeah, you know, all of that. And, you know, and I think other people just have no idea that it's even a problem. So, yeah. I think it's, uh... To Norm's point for a second. Yeah, Norm, I think that, that that is, first of all, that's like, that is 
conservative Judaism in a sentence right there. Um, and <laughs> that is, that, I mean, that's how most people read the driving tshuva, which is not what the driving tshuva says, but, but that's how most people read that tshuva because they want to be able to go to someone's home on Shabbat uh, and they might have, especially in Los Angeles, might have to drive to get there if it's a particular distance. And so a lot of conservative Jews will say, but I'm allowed to drive for the sake of Shabbat if it's for the celebration of Shabbat and so I'm going to drive. And so I think that the way in which we are talking right now about bringing wine and bringing those things, like often I will invite people to come before candlelighting and you know, when it's not like candlelighting at 345 or something, um, so that they are arriving before Shabbos, whether that's comfortable for them or more comfortable for me. Um, but that that is one way around that because you are not alone in in this idea. I know that that's not the halacha. That simply is what we do in our family. Yeah, but it but it has become a, a major conservative halacha, for lack of a better term, like a, a an observance that conservative Jews feel very comfortable with um, in terms of how they can celebrate Shabbat with the people who they want to celebrate Shabbat with, and that's how I grew up, and I totally get it and see a lot of validity in it. I just thought I just saw a hand. Ah, I did. Yeah, Rebecca, Rebecca and Leonard, or Leonard, or both. Yeah, I was just thinking, um, <clears throat> sometimes we uh, have um, at Beth Am, the library minion, one of the one of the minyanim we have, we uh, have uh, uh, some events and we'll have like uh, potluck Shabbat dinners, for example. And in the sign up for people, and as we arrange this, you know, we, we've, we've always said and continue to say that you can drop off uh, your... Um, your selection, um, I mean, your, your dish or whatever, you can drop it off before Shabbat, you know, that morning or something, you know, arrange with the, uh, the host. And it's funny. Cause I, I always just kind of thought that way it's convenient. People don't have to, cause some people do walk, so they don't have to carry it, you know, even though it'd be within the A roof, but now I see another reason is perhaps people really do know and are purposely dropping it off. So they're dropping it off before Shabbat because maybe they are going to then drive, drive that night. Yeah. So yeah. Leave it to the library, Vinian. That makes total yeah. sense. Yeah, got it covered. <laughs> okay. Renee, last comment. Okay, I still don't get the wine thing. Like I get that it's okay to have it, but cause it's kosher wine, but how is it okay for her, for them to have it? Dafka on another Shabbat. I get that they could have it on a Tuesday or Thursday, but since it was, since it, whether she intentionally or not intentionally transgressed the Shabbos with that wine bottle, it's it, the, the Ikar is the Ikar. It was brought on Shabbat. So how would it be okay for her to use it then on another Shabbat? So I'll, I'll try to take this. The, the, uh, the idea is that you can't, we don't want to either be benefiting directly from malacha done on Shabbat, from forbidden labor done on Shabbat, or incentivizing malacha to be done on Shabbat. Those are the two things we're trying to avoid. We don't want to incentivize it, and we don't want to benefit from malacha being done on Shabbat. Okay. So in this case, when it comes to the wine, once a week has passed, Right, there was a week's worth of opportunities for that person to bring that wine to your house. So you're not actually benefiting from the fact that it was brought on Shabbat, right? It could have been brought another time in the intervening. That's that's the same idea of, you know, when the Shulchan Aruch says, 
come Motzei Shabbat, it's fine. The idea is once Motzei Shabbat, once, once Shabbat is out, now you're not benefiting from the labor done on Shabbat because you're, you know, you could have done it right now. Um, and some people say, actually, you should wait the, you know, if it comes to cooking, you know, you should wait the amount of time. If, if it cooked for an hour on Shabbat, you should wait until an hour after Shabbat to make sure that, you know, you're not benefiting from it because there was sort of the same amount of time of malacha that was done to it has now passed since Shabbat. So we're sort of trying to make sure you're, there's no incentive to do the malacha on Shabbat. Now, you might say there's an incentive because the people were at your house last Shabbat and they weren't going to be in your house in the intervening days. Um, but the idea is like, you're not directly benefiting from Malacha done on Shabbat. It could have been okay. done in another. That's, it's that's a great, it's a great line. Yeah. But okay. It totally is. But it also comes from you, from not wanting to waste. And it also comes from wanting to make sure that you get to use something that someone brought to your home out of, you know, the love of their heart, right? Like you're not, you're not trying to say you did a terrible thing. Like you did a malacha. Like, is it, is it great? Like, do we want you to continue doing it? No, but you also, it's not the end of the world. And so you're going to benefit by having wine in your house. And you're going to get to use it whenever you want after Shabbos. And now it's just another bottle of wine in your wine refrigerator. It's like if you pick a, you pick an, you know, apple from your tree on Shabbat, you know, you can't right. pick on Shabbat. Like once Shabbat is out, again, you could have just gone outside after Shabbat and picked that apple. So now the fact that you picked it on Shabbat doesn't actually impact the object. You could have, you know, you could have taken it after Shabbat. So yeah, that's um, so okay. now just another apple. So, yeah, the, so the halakhic, you know, there's one, one of the categories of prohibited things on Shabbat is what's called nolad, which is something that was sort of born literally or created on Shabbat. And so it's sort of, it's, it's not exactly nolad, but it's sort of, there's a lot of similarities in that area of law of like, right, like an egg or you know, something that grew or that was quote unquote born on Shabbat, you can't use on Shabbat, but then after Shabbat, it's fine. Um, so it's sort of, there's similarities there with something that entered your possession on Shabbat that you didn't have access to before Shabbat, you know, as long as Shabbat is ongoing, you can't benefit from it. But once Shabbat has passed, mm-hmm. now no law no longer applies. Okay. And the flowers in the water, because I've never heard that before. Oh, yes. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're just not supposed to do, you're not supposed to do things that would, that would be categories of like planting or gardening or, you know, allowing something to, to grow. Um, so in the, in terms of flowers, you don't, you wouldn't want to put them in the water on Shabbat. You could wait until after Shabbat and then put them in the water after that, or just put them in a empty vase, I guess. Um, but like the flowers themselves are not the issue. It's the, it's the putting them in the water. That's the issue. Um, even though they're not going to grow anymore when you put it in water. I mean, once they've been cut, they're not going to grow. Right. But you're keeping them alive. So that's part of what you're, it's like in a category of, of what planting would be, even though you're not like no new flowers are going to grow from it. You're still maintaining its life. Um, am I correct in assuming that these rules would not apply to hummus that arrives in your home on Pesach? <laughs> Wait. Comments that are meaning what? Um, like if someone brings a loaf of bread to your house on like the fourth day of Pesach, is it okay for after Pesach? Is that what you're asking? What actually happened one year is that 
the newspaper arrived with a little box of cereal in it. And some people were extremely upset and wrote terrible letters to the Times. Um, and we simply put it in the trash. And I imagine some people probably gave it away. And maybe some people saved it. I don't know. But um, we assumed that it simply should be treated as dust. And we threw it in the trash so that nobody would benefit from it. Yeah, chametz shavaralav hapesach is forbidden. Chametz that was alive for for a Passover, um, you can't eat after Passover unless, of course, we sell it, which is another legal loophole. But yeah, well, now it's you sold it before Pesach, yes. But if it arrived during Pesach, you can't and it entered it. your possession, then it then that would fall under the category of chametz shavaralav hapesach, which you you can't use. So yeah, what throwing it out was the correct thing. Ideally, it should never really enter your like possession. Right. So. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.